think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we have a very exciting show today. We're going to be dealing with Achilles ruptures and repairs. We're going to be referencing Philadelphia Phillies first baseman Ryan Howard. We're going to be, we have a segment on Dan Weldon and uh, essentially the memorial for a very uh, heroic race driver who lost his life over the weekend. We also have a little bit on NFC Roundup, and finally, we have a whole piece on neck injuries and treatment of neck injuries. We're going to begin our show by thanking Mr. Ray Ellis, our sports director from, Amer- from Voice America Sports, for joining us, and as we head into the bye week, we're, we certainly have a lot to talk about with NFC East football, with, with, with Vic and concussions with faking injuries, and a whole lot of stuff. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Ray Ellis. Hey, Doc. Uh, you know, it's my pleasure, as always, uh, to, to join you on your show. But uh, I, I kind of giggled a little bit there when you said faking injuries because it, it's so funny because, you know, they just, you know, took a very strong stance a couple weeks ago uh, because a couple giant players, you know, I guess at the same time, you know, became injured. But it really was just a ploy to kind of slow the game down uh, because the ball was being driven on them and, and they wanted to kind of you know get some other people in the game and get the right personnel in the game. Uh, but when I saw the Redskins game the other day, and, and I'm going to just from my own personal opinion, and I've, I've heard that they said that perhaps maybe London Fletcher had a different perspective on the condition of Michael Vick. And I, I myself, as I was watching that game, Doc, I, I thought that Mike was hurt because I saw him lay motionless on the field, and and one thing that's happened to me before, and plus, Mike Mike is a smart kid, and if he if there was dirt in his face and in his eyes to the point where it was it was that bad, you know how it is when something's in your eyes or in your mouth, you're trying to get it out. Mike was not he couldn't do that. He didn't do that, and I you know if it was dirt in my eyes or something like that, you know he'd have been standing there, and and he'd have been trying to get it out once he did stand. But I didn't even see him make those attempts once he stood up. So I think Mike, you know, in his own way, you know, Mike just wanted to say, no, you know, it's, it's dirt in my eyes. 
It's not my head. It's dirt in my eyes. When indeed it was his neck and and his head, I believe. So I, well, it's I, interesting. We look at a quote from Vic today, just at two p.m. on Philly dot com. Okay. He said he acknowledged. He said Vic said it was a little bit of everything. Oh, there you I go. Had, he said I had the wind knocked out of me. Some dirt got in my eyes, but I wasn't dig. So, so in other words, acknowledging he was motionless. He, he's saying that he had the wind knocked out of him. So he's acknowledging that it was not merely dirt, but he's saying that was London Fletcher saying I was dinged. <laughs> it was a minor situation. I was able to come back. This shows you how what a gray area this is, that if that was, in fact, a concussion, Vic may have come out of the game. The outcome may have been different. But then we have London Fletcher, who's a wily veteran, who the Eagles, Andy Reid at his press conference yesterday, said that, London, you know, they didn't, they didn't outright bash London Fletcher, but they said he's a wily veteran and he was holding him down. But you, you saw the replay. So this really illustrates how the concussion protocol really impacts on the game and whether or not a player comes out of the game. Hey, Doc, you got to know all aspects of the game. Whenever there's an advantage, you can get an advantage. you got to take that. You know, and the fact of the matter is, listen, it, it worked in London's favor. It worked in the Redskins' favor because all of a sudden, you know, uh, we put Vince Young in the game and he throws an interception. And so London won that battle. You know, the battle of, oh, I got to do whatever I can to get an edge here. You know, let me get, let me get him out the game. You know, when I was at Ohio State, me and my, God bless his soul, me and my friend Todd Bell and, and Vince Skillings and Mike Guest, we used to always say the best way to eliminate a threat is to eliminate it. Get it out. Take it out. And so you got to get Mike out the game any way you possibly can. And, and, and London, he won that, but, but let's give Mike credit too. Because, no, Mike was, they were holding him up. They were not holding him down. They were, they helped him up, and then there were a couple, and a couple of those guys were our players too, that were around Mike, and they were looking at him and trying to find out, hey, what's going on here? And so, like he said, even the wind being knocked out of you. Now, when you're, if you ever talk to anybody who's ever had the wind knocked them, or you, Doc, or somebody hits you in your stomach, like, <laughs> like they did Andy. <laughs> I don't know if they knocked the wind out of him, but when you get the wind knocked out, it's like, ooh, you know, you got a certain time, you almost feel like you're not going to make it. You know, where's your next breath coming from? So that, it, I guess, would confirm the fact that Mike did need to go to the sidelines for a minute or for a play or two, and it worked out to the advantage, of course, of the Redskins. No doubt. And one of the things you referenced before which really was very humorous, was uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the New York Giants were trying to get their defense set near the goal line. And I watched this in slow motion many times with Spencer the Wizard. And both, there were two guys walking along, and two guys fell down simultaneously. At the same time. So they, didn't get their, they didn't get their story straight. So two guys fell down at the same time, holding their legs, and then both guys got up and ran off the field, and then they accused the defensive coordinator of the Giants of teaching these guys, who was an ex-player, who, who accused the defensive coordinator of using that as a stall tactic, and they actually asked the guy in a press conference, and if you saw that, that was also very hubris, because the guy said, I'm not going to say that I've ever coached players to stay down or to fake injuries, but I'm not going to say that I have not coached them. Hey, <laughs> hey. I don't know if you thought it was a very awkward press conference. It, 
And after that, they sent letters around the league. They didn't find the Giants. They said the next time this happens, we're going to fully investigate it. I'll tell you what, uh, in their defense, they probably will bring Arlen Specter in to be their defense lawyer, you know, <laughs> because he, he's the one that can prove a theory like that because he's, I think he's done it before. But, uh, and no disrespect to our great president, but uh, we, we know that the theory of, uh, you know, one, one bullet, you know, doing a lot of damage, but uh, again, just kind of in a humorous way there, but no, those guys were wrong. And, and to show how wrong it is and there's no place in it for the game, there was a lot of money that was going to be taken from them by Commissioner Goodell if they ever tried that again. In this particular case, what London was doing is London was trying to, again, support the rules that, hey, if a player's hurt, he's got to get out. You can't keep him in. And so he's trying to say, you know, Mike's hurt. And, and, and Mike was trying to say, no, I'm okay. You know, and so, uh, yeah, the, the rules, sometimes guys can stretch them to, to benefit them, you know, and that, those are just those candy kind of veterans that you have around the league that know the rules and, uh, and they're in tune with situations in the game. And, um, you know, I, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's a blessing to have one. It could be a curse when you're playing against one. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also breaking news right now, very interesting, uh, to just hit the news is the Eagles just traded, um, Ronnie Brown. Brown. You know, they just traded Ronnie Brown, the running back they got from Miami. Well, you know why they, they got... did that, Doc. I mean, come on, if you get down on the goal line and you throw a pass, you know, and you're beyond the line of scrimmage, you know, that's a fumble and, and that's what Ronnie Brown is going to be forever known in Philadelphia for doing. And he's a he's a damn good football player, and and I just thought we should I, I thought we could try to find a way, you know, to get him in the game and, and to use him uh, because you you never know what might happen during this. It's a long football season, and running backs get beat up on bad. Who who do we get in in, in exchange we, for him? We got a running back. We got remember Jerome Harrison, the running back from last year, who who showed flashes of being a good runner. So we really traded really. Two underachieving backup running backs, you know, for the Lions and Eagles. Sometimes a change of venue might might be a good thing. And again, the play you alluded to, arguably the most ludicrous play of the season, when Ronnie Brown was being tackled and snowed under, and you it barely it looked like he was just throwing the ball wherever. And it was it was ruled a fumble, the the most awkward play. And I, and I know that uh, apparently they practiced that play for two weeks. But I think that the uh, the center in that play, Kelsey, just got totally blown out, and it, it was probably the worst looking play of the year for the Eagles. Well, you know what's what's interesting is you again. Let's go to the rules, and I'm sure in Ronnie's mind, psychologically, he may have been thinking that you know what, I'm not. I haven't crossed the line of scrimmage yet, so let me throw this ball, and it'll be an incomplete pass. But I think. You have to be under center, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I think you have to be under center uh, for them to, you know, acknowledge you as a quarterback who could be now the rule going to effect. Is his arm in motion, and is, and is he throwing? Is it a forward pass? Or if not, of course, if you're a running back, it's a fumble. And so because he was not under center, you know, it was assumed he was a running back, and no, we're not going to give you that. We're not going to give you the benefit of a doubt of you throwing a pass because you were not lined up under center. And I, I, I got to be honest, I don't know that rule. But Ronnie must have thought because he's been in the wildcat position, wildcat position before. Maybe he's thrown a pass or two. Maybe he thought that he could throw that. Did he ever explain that to you guys there in Philadelphia in the media? They were very. Um, uh, this was, 
you, you know, one thing about Andy Reid is when, when things don't go well, he often doesn't give you a lot in the press conference. He didn't say a lot. R- Ronnie Brown said that it was a set play. If we're looking at the replay, his arm never went forward. So even if he was a quarterback, you know, it, it's as if you bring your arm back and you get the ball hit out of your hand. He essentially got snowed under like a tsunami on that play. So it would have been, it was a fumble in any event. His arm never went forward, but, but it, there was so, there was so much commotion around him and he was getting hit by so many people that, that it was kind of indistinguishable that it was a pass. And we found out later it was a pass. You know, we we wondered, you know, are they trying to outsmart themselves? Why don't you just run? You're two yards from the goal line. Why don't you just run ahead, you know, or or, or send Vic around the end, you know? Vic on a bootleg, he could outrun mostly anybody around the end. And, uh, you know, this also came around the time of the Owen Schmidt, the failed three fullback runs into the line. So, yeah, there there was some discussion, and there was a lot of negative uh discussion about that particular play you know doc you hit it on the head there i'm gonna just say this i, I don't care who the philadelphia eagles play all you got to do is line up a running back in the backfield send that running back towards that outside linebacker and have him cut that backer that backer is going to have to address the issue that somebody's coming at his feet and there's no way he's going to be able to stop michael vick from getting around that corner i don't i don't care it could be a safety i just if you send somebody at his feet and they cut him He's going to get distracted. He's going to protect himself. And he's going to give Mike a chance to go uh, around the corner. I don't think that the, the, the too many times are they sending Mike up the middle uh, for him to try to get a first down when there's a couple inches. And, and I just think he's putting himself in, in harm's way more trying to do it that way than to try to make it on the bootleg around the corner with a couple lead blockers, you know, cutting some people down and Mike making it to the corner. I just think he could do that uh, and be more successful doing it that way. Absolutely. Uh, as always, Ray Ellis, thank you so much for your participation on Bruce the Sports Doc. The time seems to go quickly when we have interesting topics like this, sports medicine. Uh, I want all the listeners to stay tuned again for Achilles NFL Roundup, tribute to race car driver Dan Weldon, and finally, a whole review of neck injuries, including references to Peyton Manning. So thanks so much. We'll catch you on the back end, and we'll see you in three minutes. Thank you. flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today we're going to cover the dreaded Achilles rupture. Following the last out of Game 5 of the National League Playoff Series between the Cardinals and Phillies, Ryan Howard collapsed in agony. He suffered a full rupture of his left Achilles tendon. This is one of the most devastating injuries in sports in that it requires one of the longest rehab periods. We're going to cover why that is. Firstly, the anatomy. The Achilles tendon is the thickest and strongest tendon in the human body. It connects the calf muscle, which is called the gastrocnemius, down to the heel bone, which is called the calcaneus. Depending on speed, stride, and weight, the Achilles tendon is strong enough to withstand up to 12 times a person's body weight during a sprint or push-off. So how is it that this tendon is injured. It's usually a ballistic load, either by accelerating or changing positions or cutting. In this case, Ryan Howard was sprinting out of the batter's box, and he tore his left Achilles. The feeling he got was similar to the feeling that your host, that would be me, got in 1997 during a weekend warrior basketball game at the Springfield Healthplex. It felt like somebody struck me in the back of my left heel with a two-by-four. I looked around to see who the perpetrator was, and nobody was there. That is, when I tore my Achilles following a cut in a basketball game, there was a full rupture, and Ryan Howard had a similar commentary after his tear. He felt, and his perception was, that he was struck with his own bat, and that's what caused the Achilles tear, because that's exactly what it feels like. The Achilles tendon was named after the ancient Greek hero of the Trojan War, Achilles. That is, this small part of his body, known as the Achilles tendon, was his tragic flaw. He was killed by an arrow shot into his heel. So that's how we call this, why we call this an Achilles tendon. Before we talk about treatment, let's talk about prevention. Correct footwear, very, very important, particularly with high-arched shoes in the games of basketball, tennis, 
and also proper sports taping in order to allow for extra protection or padding for the Achilles tendon is very important. There are certain things called anti-pronation or motion shoes, and also certain orthotics could be helpful in preventing Achilles injuries. Also, proper warm-up and stretching before sports activities is imperative in order to protect one from this injury. However, there's no absolute protection. We can look back at Atlanta Hawks Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins actually tore both Achilles at different times. The first part of treatment of an Achilles is proper diagnosis. Firstly, there's a McMurray's test where there's actually, you palpate, and if there is a full rupture, there will actually be a discontinuity in the Achilles tendon, which is very easy to note. And uh, I certainly recall that with my own Achilles tear. Uh, normally there's a fibrous cord, and instead there's just a space there. There's also a complete lack of the ability to, uh, to use that muscle, which is to plant our flex or move the foot in a downward position. So basically, you know, lose your ability to plant our flex. You basically are rendered unable to stand or walk. The acute, the acute treatment is anti-inflammatory medications and ice, and then surgery, usually within a few hours to a few days. I went to surgery within 24 hours of my tear. The surgery is, uh, is not that complicated. Basically, the surgeon goes and retrieves the upper portion of the heel cord, sometimes up as high as the calf muscle, and then basically um, plantar flexes the foot, that is, brings the foot down completely to uh, connect or reanastomose the two parts of the Achilles. So there's a very firm suture and closure, and then the foot is, cla- is casted in the downward direction in plantar flexion. Over the next few weeks, there are a series of casts that are placed and removed, and the patient graduates to a walking boot, which is also called a Donjoy, D-O-N-J-O-Y boot. This is the same company that makes the uh, Donjoy knee brace, which was made famous by uh, Dan Marino, who wore that heavy knee brace uh, throughout the latter part of his playing career. The MRI can be utilized as a confirmatory test for an Achilles tendon rupture, though the tear is confirmed physically by simply squeezing the calf muscles and the foot doesn't move. You can't palpate the tendon. It's a torn, it's a torn Achilles. Operatively, The incision is three to four inches behind the ankle. The risk of the operation to repair of an Achilles are similar to any time there's an operation. That is, infection, scarring, bleeding, poor wound healing. It's unusual for there to be a re-tear or re-rupture of the Achilles tendon, but it is certainly a possibility. In the old days, some cases were treated non-operatively, that is, for partial tears. However, The risks of non-operation include a higher risk of re-rupture and possible loss of strength with pushing off of activity. So for a professional athlete, the treatment is almost always surgical. Why is the recovery time so slow? 
up to six months. The reason is because the Achilles tendon has a very poor blood supply. And therefore, the healing process is painfully slow. Painfully slow, excuse me. Nothing to do with snow, of course. So, essentially, throughout this process, it's very painful. The Donjoy boot is a laced up, it's actually a Velcroed up uh, boot, which is worn up to the knee. It can be used to assist patients in walking while they recover and while the Achilles slowly heals. A very important part of rehab is to restore range of motion. Gradually try to restore the range of motion with respect to lifting the foot up or dorsiflexion because that's what stretches out the Achilles. So if there is a, uh, a tight Achilles, if there is a contracture, there may be loss of bringing the toe up, which is called dorsiflexion or toe extension. So the rehab has to be a very uh, has to be on a daily basis and involves strengthening the calf. When the patient comes out of the cast, as I recall, the calf muscle is gone and it has to be completely rehabilitated. With respect to Ryan Howard, he completed the Achilles tendon surgery, which went well, and he's now in the period of casting. The goal is to get it back early next season, but there's certainly no guarantees. Well, he will have the benefit of the best team of physical therapists and rehab doctors. There is an individual variability in the healing process. And when you have a very large, powerful athlete, obviously the recovery is, is, is painful, as is the rehabilitation. So let's summarize the Achilles. It's a tendon that connects the calf to the foot. It's extremely strong. can hold up to ballistic forces of 12 times the body weight. However, during push-off or ballistic movements, the athlete can partially or completely tear the Achilles. The diagnosis is easily confirmed using physical testing, though the MRI is often used, as in the case of Ryan Howard. Early treatment, ice, elevation, anti-inflammatories, usually followed by corrective surgery, three to four inch incision, reanastomosis, that is connecting the Achilles tendon, followed by progressive casting, and finally, a period of rehabilitation of six to eight months. And it will take up to 12 months for the athlete to return to full action, full running and cutting. The, the purpose of the rehab is to restore strength to the calf, flexibility and dexterity, and to restore range of motion in the foot and ankle structure. So this has been a summary of the sports medicine topic, Achilles tear pertaining to Philly's first baseman, Ryan Howard, and your humble host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, who share one thing in common, and that would be the full rupture of a left Achilles tendon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few.
internet flagship station for sports. Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Spin it with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on. It will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news. Spin it old school, which gives a back-in-the-day approach from Chuck. A no-spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. This is live NFL Roundup as well as a sports update, October 2011. Firstly, we want to pay tribute to a fallen race driver, Dan Weldon, who died in a fiery 15-car pileup at a Las Vegas Speedway. This illustrates, with respect to sports medicine, that this is a dangerous sport. Despite all of the alterations and modifications to the cars, to the helmets, to extra padding on the walls of the racetracks when you have cars traveling at speeds in excess of 200 miles an hour there's a potential for sudden death in this case having reviewed the videos of the race it appeared that the top portion of the roll which contained the driver was literally sheared off when the driver's car Mr. Weldon ejected up into the air, ricocheted off of another driver, smashed the wall and rebounded and caught fire. This was described as an insurvivable crash. And the racing world is stunned yet another time. Michael Andretti paid homage to Dan Weldon. He was a very close friend, and we just literally inked it this morning. We had great plans to do fun things in the future. It's part of our sport. He knew the risks. We all knew the risks when we get in the car. 
It's a terrible thing. So here we are. There was an airborne entry of the number 77 car into a barrel roll. The car struck the catch fence with enough force to shear the roll hoop cleanly from the top. This caused a halt to the race and a five-lap memorial to Dan Weldon. By all accounts, a true gentleman with, with a wife and young boys, truly tragic, killed on the 11th lap of the Honda Indy 300 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. We pay our tributes to Mr. Weldon today. Moving on to Major League Baseball, the St. Louis Cardinals clinched a decisive Game 6 against the Milwaukee Brewers, the 12-6 victory. Having attended the Cardinals-Phillies series, it appeared that they were the team of destiny for the National League. With Albert Pujols, flawless pitching, excellent bullpen work, Chris Carpenter. And now we have the World Series with the Texas Rangers, who just last night eliminated the Detroit Tigers. So therefore, the World Series will be two relatively small market cities, Texas and Arlington, against the Cardinals, while an esteemed franchise, not necessarily a big television market. It should make for interesting drama, however, as we see Albert Pujols, great pitching, and a very exciting team from Texas, punctuated by Josh Hamilton. We now go around the league in the NFL. Spencer the Wizard and myself attended the Giants-Bills game today. Certainly a beautiful day at the Meadowlands, 67 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, a small breeze. The game was exciting, back and forth, tied at 24 to the fourth quarter. Two decisive plays allowed for the outcome. The first was when Eli Manning hit Mario Manningham in stride on a pass from the Bills 37. However, the receiver bobbled the pass, fell to the ground, and it was ruled incomplete. It looked like the Giants might be forsaking their chance to beat the Bills at home. However, Buffalo took over and eventually drove down to would be the crucial mistake. Steve Johnson had just completed a curl route at the goal line. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the ball a bit wide, and the pass was intercepted by Corey Webster. Let's give credit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. In this day where often athletes deflect criticism and blame others, Fitzpatrick fully accepted blame. He said, I couldn't ask for a better route. They were both basically the same thing. Stevie on the go route. I'd like to give credit to Corey Webster. He made plays with both of them. That said, I felt Stevie beat him, and I underthrew both of them. So therefore, following this interception, the Giants drove down for the clinching field goal. A large-time 23-yard field goal 
with a minute and 32 left in the game. The Giants' defense held, and the Giants went to 4-2 and two and catapulted to the top of the NFC East. In another game, the previously hapless Eagles at 1-4 seemed to be arresting the tailspin, fueled by Shady McCoy, 123 yards on the ground, three interceptions by Kirk Coleman, gifts, that is, four of them, Interceptions thrown by Rex Grossman to be replaced by John Beck later in the game. And the Eagles hold on to win 20-13 to and therefore go to 2-4 and four going into the bye. In a very exciting ending, Tom Brady, as he seems to always do, engineered the game-winning drive. Down three points, barely two minutes left. You can't not get the ball in the end zone, Tom said. And sure enough, Brady engineers a heroic drive, giving the Patriots a 20-16 win over the Dallas Cowboys. This drops the Cowboys to 2-3, and three, and therefore the NFC East looks like a division that will produce exactly one playoff contender, and the wild card should go elsewhere. Another exciting game in Atlanta in the shootout. Matty Ice delivers the goods 31-17 to over Carolina. Last second win by San Francisco. Slant route at the goal line. San Francisco stuns the previously unbeaten Lions 25-19. to Packers roll 24-3 over hapless St. Louis. Steelers squeak out an ugly 17-13 win. Oakland continues to roll 24-17. And Baltimore surges on ahead to win 29-14 over Houston. As your roving Cub reporter, I'm happy to report to you from Giant Stadium that the New York Giants suffered exactly no injuries today. And we look forward to reporting next week on Sports and NFL Roundup. We also want to congratulate our co-host, Spencer the Wizard, for what will be a debut on Voice America Kids of his sports show, which will be called Wiz City. It will be a series of vignettes commentaries, interviews, and discussions with other teenage fans and will certainly be centered on East Coast activities and there will be collaboration with some of the other hosts on Voice America Kids. We want to thank Ray Ellis and Perry Demond for supporting the efforts of Wiz City and making this possible And as soon as we have our launch date, we'll be announcing it down the line to all of our affiliates. So this is the end of Sports Roundup. Again, condolences in the racing sport. The World Series is set. And an exciting week in the NFL. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner Talking Baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Lairitz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the second edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. In this edition, we're going to talk about Neck injuries of all types, as well as diagnosis and treatment of neck injuries. This applies to sporting injuries, car accidents, falls, directed blood trauma. When patients come to see us with neck pain, the first discriminator is to decide whether or not there's a major injury to the nerves, discs, or spinal cord of the neck. We determine this largely from the history. So let's say we have Mr. Jones comes in and says, I have neck pain and stiffness. What I'll ask him is, do you have any weakness, numbness, or lack of dexterity in either arm? And I'll also ask him whether he has any symptoms down into his legs from his neck condition, and further, whether he's had any difficulty with bowel or bladder function. If he has a major neck injury, a big trauma, and he also has problems in the legs, that certainly alerts us to worry about the spinal cord area because the spinal cord in the neck anatomically relates not only to the arms but also to the legs. It goes down into the bowel and bladder. So if somebody just has neck pain and stiffness that does not radiate, in most cases this will be what we call a soft tissue injury. That is, it will be a problem with the muscles, ligaments, or tendons in the neck. And in most cases... This should get better in four to six weeks. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We usually prescribe 
medicines, anti-inflammatory agents, muscle relaxers, and at times other types of analgesics. What type of treatment do we prescribe? We often prescribe physical therapy and often chiropractic care. That is gentle manipulation. Manipulation means when a doctor or a therapist essentially move and help to restore motion in the neck area. And the most important planes of motion include forward flexion, extension, which is raising your head back, bending to the side, and rotation. So in therapy, we'll often start off by ordering modalities. That'll be heat, coolness, ultrasound, in addition to, at times, some ancillary treatments, including a TENS unit, which is an electrical stimulation unit, and sometimes we'll prescribe a soft brace, something called a soft cervical collar, that the patient could wear at bedtime in order for them to achieve some comfort. So, number one is the mild injuries. Number two is what we call the radiculopathies. That is, injuries that involve the discs and nerves in the neck. How can we tell that these are more serious cases? Well, often it's a matter of sitting down and talking to the patients themselves. And they will tell you, Doc, my neck pain radiates to my right, my right shoulder and arm. I've got weakness and I've got tingling in my hand. So what I usually do as a detective is I listen carefully to the story. I look at exactly the areas where the muscles are weak and I test the muscles I use a reflex hammer to check reflexes, and I'll also check sensation using things like sharp, dull, vibratory stimuli. In this case, let's call this case two, I find that the patient has weakness of the triceps, that's elbow extensors, weakness of finger extensors, as well as diminished sensation in the back of the head, particularly the middle finger, as well as a diminished triceps reflex. That is, when I bang on the triceps, I don't get a normal stretch reflex. I get a more diminished response. That heightens my sensitivity for pathology at C67. So what will I do then? I'll order an MRI of the neck. The MRI of the neck shows a pretty large herniated disc, a slip disc at C67, pressing on the nerve. Well, how do I confirm there's nerve damage? I personally do a test called an EMG. An EMG stands for electromyography. You probably heard about this. And we do it right here at Grossinger Neuropage Specialist. So if any of you within the sound of our voice are close to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, we are very proud of what we call our painless EMGs. That is, we use very small micro-thin needles. And you could call us at 610-521-6063 or 6064, and you could say, I heard Dr. Grossinger on the radio. My doctor sent me for an EMG, and I don't want a lot of pain. So what we have is very, very small needles. So the EMG involves an electrical stimuli. That is, the patient is sitting there. We will be stimulating various nerves going up to the neck. And then the second part involves those small needles. We'll actually take the needle, place it in the muscle, and the needle will be connected to a television, which is called an oscilloscope. The whole test takes about 30 to 60 minutes, and when we're done, I have an idea of what's going on. So let's say Mr. Jones underwent this test. 
hypothetically, he had a herniated disc at C6-7, pinched nerve on the right side, right-sided symptoms, and when I stuck a needle into his triceps and pronator teres, I noted there was something called denervation, loss of nerve supply. Also, when I placed the needle in his neck, I also saw loss of nerve supply. So we have to understand anatomy as doctors. When there is the posterior primary rami of C7, that is the neck muscles, as well as the triceps, pronators, and finger extensors, I as a doctor can tell the patient, not only do you have a disc in your neck, but also a pinched nerve, a right C7 radiculopathy. That's what we call radiculopathy, which in Latin means a problem with the nerve. In pathy means disease of the nerve. So that's what is going on right there. So we've established the injury, a disc injury, nerve injury. In this case, the spinal cord is okay. That is, bowel, bladder, and legs are fine. How do we treat it? Well, number one, physical therapy, modalities, heat, ultrasound, gentle motion, bracing, as well as medicines, including anti-inflammatories, analgesics, and muscle relaxers. The, the next step in treatment is what we call interventional spine care. We do that right in the office here. We have two operating rooms. What we do is we have a very thin needle under fluoroscopy. A patient's laying on a table. We have a whole operating room team. What we'll do is we'll place that needle directly through a three-dimensional X-ray, find exactly the spot, and we'll put medicine, usually something, a corticosteroid called Decadron and a local anesthetic agent. And we'll usually do those injections every other week for three times. About 70% of the time, the patient has substantial benefit in pain relief and reduced muscle spasm with the epidural injections. Let's say the patient has progressive muscle weakness and associated ominous symptoms such as bowel or bladder and or leg weakness. That is, a herniated disc can impinge upon the spinal cord as well. At that point, we would send the patient to a spinal surgeon that is either an orthopedic surgeon or a neurosurgeon, and if necessary, they may undergo a neck surgery. What are the most common neck surgeries? When one has a single disc which is confined, the usual surgery is called a laminectomy. That is, the surgeon goes in, cuts up part of the bone on the back part of the neck. They'll go in and remove the disc, that's called a discectomy, and they'll stabilize the area with a fusion. There are many new ways to fuse the spine and protect it from further injury. They include bones, allograft usually, that is a bony graft from the patient's iliac crest, their hip bone. Rarely they can use bones from a cadaver, and most recently there's hardware, such as titanium plating, and that is we have a metal plate and screws which are attached and screwed in to protect the bones, the vertebral segments above and below the area of the injury. There's also a new technique, which is called an artificial disc replacement. The FDA has approved artificial disc replacement in the neck and back. They've approved it under certain circumstances where there's one level of disease and therefore there is one artificial disc.
So instead of fusing the area and putting bone in there or plates, what they'll do is they'll use an artificial disc. That is a disc which is synthetic and which has the same abilities to act as a shock absorber, and that is essentially placed surgically into the patient's body. These new artificial discs are extremely compliant, provide a lot of absorption, and have a very low risk of rejection from the patient themselves. So we've gone through a whole litany of treatment, starting with diagnosis, as well as physical exam, MRIs, EFGs, injections, physical therapy. I've told you about surgery. Well, after the surgery, the patients will usually need to be in a hard collar, a Philadelphia collar, for anywhere between three and six months. And what that does is it allows the bones to fully stabilize and fuse and allows there to be structural return of stability to the neck. 70 to 80% of patients with surgery will do much better, though there are a few patients who may have something called a post-laminectomy syndrome. This is usually caused when there is excessive scarring in the area, which is called epidural scarring. The patients also can undergo recurrent disc herniations. That is, let's say this patient who had a C6-7 herniated disc got a fusion, and a year later they developed another herniated disc above the level of the fusion at C5-6. Regrettably, mechanically speaking, there is a risk of recurrent disc disease above and below the area of a fusion, and that has to do with the spinal mechanics. Following the surgery, following physical therapy, there's usually a period of rehabilitation for four to eight weeks, and then the patient can involve themselves in retraining, that is strengthening the muscles, stretching, and essentially gradually returning back to either employment or returning back to training for their sport. If this is an athletic injury, they will often go through a very graded return to sports. The exertion will be monitored typically by a trainer or exercise physiologist, and eventually the patient could go back to playing sports. With respect to neck surgeries, the typical time for professional athletes, it's usually about a year out of service. So with professional hockey and football, somebody goes through a neck surgery, laminectomy, infusion, they're usually out for a year. There are some rare cases where patients, typically due to their age, are advised not to ever return back to their sport of interest. So let's summarize. In this segment, we talked about what happens with neck injuries? We talked about being the doctor and receiving the information and how the story itself can tailor us to appropriate treatment, to appropriate diagnosis, treatment, including MRIs, EMGs, physical therapy, chiropractic, injections, and surgery. So this is a pretty comprehensive overview, and we hope you enjoyed this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.